Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. The people who have an ability to trust others are the ones who get ahead in the world, are the ones who have the capacity for kindness, for cooperation, for empathy. Morality, in some sense, requires that we have an implicit faith in the people with whom we are talking about. That was Malcolm Gladwell to welcome you to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Hi, I'm Paul Perot again from my home studio and Gabe's at his home studio as well as we continue to social distance and to be cautious because of the COVID-19 virus. As the world battles this pandemic, we are being asked to do things like social distance and shelter in place. And when we do go out to places like the grocery store, we are actually showing a lot of trust in people. And yet... You hear stories like the person who was arrested because, as a joke, she pretended to cough over a lot of produce and other products at a store. While there was no indication that this person who did this had the virus, the store, out of an abundance of caution, threw away over $35,000 worth of food. Acts like this can cause us to have a low trust level at times. Still, trust, still. Trust is important, indeed vital in our society, and we'll talk about more of that during the show. On the topic of the coronavirus, however, Gabe, at this stressful time, Q is taking the situation very seriously. We've done some things to try to address that, and I want to point you to that. I did a special interview with Josh Axe on another podcast I do with Rebecca, my wife, called Rhythms for Life. I'd recommend you check that out for a really positive perspective on how do we think about building immunity, how do we be people of hope and faith, and joy in the midst of a culture that feeds on fear and feeds on doubt and can sometimes leave you feeling a bit frazzled. You can hear the full conversation as a member of the Q Media platform at qideas.org. Gabe, since we have a few moments of time on today's show, here's a portion of that conversation you had with Dr. Josh Axe. There's a lot of news happening right now around the spread of this coronavirus that is a pandemic in certain places, could be called that, the CDC's warning about preparing, you know, for this to get bad. And I think what it does is it, it, it drums up a lot of fear, a lot of concern, a lot of things that purely are out of your control. And so I want to know kind of how you're feeling about that moment that you're seeing right now and sensing kind of in the, in the culture right now. And, but then I want to jump proactively to what we can control. And I'm excited about people getting to hear from you about that. But first, what is your response been to just kind of how you're seeing this virus over the last, you know, two months start to play out and roll across uh, the international stage? Yeah, so first and foremost, for me, I always feel very confident knowing that people are, you know, powerful in making good decisions about their health. And I've seen that over the past, you know, 20 years of being in the natural health industry, uh, that, you know, people more and more are aware that they can start 
changing their diet. They can start exercising. They can, you know, do things like prayer and meditation. They can take certain supplements and do things to improve their overall health and protect themselves against whether it's a viral chronic health condition. And so I know we're going to spend most of the time on that today, but I do want to point out, you know, there are a couple of industries that really drive a lot of the fear today. It's our pharmaceutical industry and it's the media. And I will say this, we've actually had worse threats in the past, everything from the bird flu to others. And so, you know, my opinion is, hey, we kind of have something like this happen every three years that comes up to where there's a virus of some sort, like the bird flu virus, again, is just a great example. Uh, And we've had so many over the years that constantly come up like this. And I really believe it's going to end up being a very similar thing. However, you know, the pharmaceutical companies are creating a vaccine around it. And again, it's it's just, there's a big industry there. And I'm not saying it's not a threat. I'm just saying, you know, the media and these companies drive fear because it results in views and sales. It's just something to be aware of. But I think the bigger thing is to know as well is that, you know what, just because you get a virus uh, doesn't mean that, hey, it's, uh, you know, it's a, um, it's, 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 it's deadly. You know, I think for most people, we're exposed to things that are much worse in many instances. And hey, if your immune system healthy, that's the key. That's really what yeah. it comes down to is naturally strengthening your own immune system. And listen, there are literally hundreds of thousands of medical studies showing that there are natural foods and supplements and lifestyle habits that we can follow that can naturally fight viruses, fight bacteria and protect ourselves. So I'm in complete confidence that if I'm exposed to the coronavirus, that either I won't get it, or if I do get it, that, hey, it'll be a few days and I'll be fine afterwards. Because when your immune system's strong, God designed our bodies to fight off viruses. And that's the thing is, for me, it's a attitude and mentality of faith over fear. And I really encourage everybody to live in that. Because here's the other thing, Gabe, there are medical studies showing that the emotion of fear actually causes disease, specifically in your hormonal system, your adrenal glands, mm-hmm. in your thyroid, and actually also affecting your, your immune system. Fear and the, a negative mentality actually weakens your immune system. There's another, yeah. another study showing 80% of doctor visits today are stress-related. You can, everyone can Google search that right now that, to see that that's true. Like, Look up percentage right. of doctor visits due to stress. And there's a recently one came out by a major medical journal that said it's due to stress and negative emotions, including fear. And so my big thing is, hey, you know what, let's do the natural remedies, but also change our mindset knowing, hey, we need to have faith in knowing uh, that, that we, um, you know, our bodies were designed to heal and we just need to take care of our bodies. That was a great portion of your conversation, Gabe, with Dr. Josh Axe. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're looking for a positive resource on that, check that out, the Rhythms for Life podcast. That's right. And the full conversation between Gabe and Rebecca Lyons with Dr. Josh Axe on the Rhythms of Life podcast is available at the Q Media platform at qideas.org. Please become a member. A quick note, Josh Axe will be one of the speakers at the Q2020 Virtual Summit, April 22nd and 23rd. We'll hopefully talk more about that toward the end of the show. But right now, let's get to our featured talk. Gabe? Today, I'm excited about the topic we're taking on. Malcolm Gladwell is someone that so many of you have shown your interest in his writings. You've enjoyed every time we've had him as a part of our Q environment, which now has been a few times. And he's just a great thinker, incredible 
person who observes really well and then helps us find a lot of these details in how we're living that we never would have recognized if it weren't for Malcolm Gladwell. And so today he's talking about this idea of talking to strangers, and we invited him to give this talk at our Q Commons event. So this went around the world, tens of thousands of people taking this in on campuses in cities all over the world, as well as all around the U.S., gathered to better understand how do we as people of faith lead in a culture that's very polarized, where sometimes we're encouraged not to talk to people we disagree with, not to cross the street to build relationship with somebody who we might see as different than us or have a different view than us. And so Malcolm takes us in this talk into why we must do this, why it actually is better for us as human beings, why it's better for our society to develop and build trust. So let's listen in now to Malcolm Gladwell. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be back on Q Commons. This is my second time uh, to talk about my new book, Talking to Strangers. And what I wanted to do uh, was to focus on a paradox, and it's a paradox that's at the heart of my book uh, and that I spent a lot of time thinking through in the book. And the best way to describe the paradox is to tell you a story. And the story involves two people, uh, a man called the mountain climber and a man called Florentino Aspiaga. Now, who is the mountain climber? Well, it's the code name for one of the legendary CIA operatives of his generation, uh, he was a guy, the mountain climber was a guy who uh, came up through the ranks of the CIA and was posted to uh, the Soviet Union during the height of the Cold War, where he became famous, not just within the CIA, but also within our, our adversaries. The Soviets were obsessed with him because he was the finest intelligence officer they'd ever seen working in Moscow and in Soviet Union. They used to teach a course in the KGB's spy school on the mountain climber, as an example of how to be an amazing intelligence officer. He spoke Russian, Russian like a Russian. His tradecraft was impeccable. He was incorruptible. At one point, the, the two KGB officers sat down next to him in a restaurant where he was having lunch, and they took out a big suitcase full of cash, and they said, it's all yours if you just come and work for us. And the mountain climber was like, no way. I'll never do that, right? He was incorruptible. He was that kind of legend. And after this successful time in Moscow, he was promoted to, be, to run the CIA's operations in Cuba. And he moves to Cuba, and he finds a, a network of spies inside Cuba who are demoralized, who are underperforming, who have no interest in really doing their jobs. And he decides what he's going to do is turn them around. And he recruits new spies, and he motivates them, and he gets them until they're an extraordinarily well-run machine, and his legend grows still further, and the Cubans know that the mountain climber is there, and they're in awe of him as well. And after a successful stint in Havana, he gets promoted back to CIA headquarters to a very, very important desk job. And one day, he gets a telephone call and answers the phone, and it's his boss on the line. His boss says, we need you to go to Frankfurt right now. So he gets on a plane, he goes to Frankfurt, and at the there's an army base in Frankfurt where the CIA has a, a big debriefing center. And he goes into the debriefing center and he meets a man named Florentino Espiaga. Now, who was Florentino Espiaga? Florentino Espiaga was the mountain climber of the Cuban intelligence service. He was a legendary officer in the Cuban version of the CIA. And he had been promoted to the point where he was basically running the entire Cuban spy network in Eastern Europe which is one of the 
most powerful and important jobs in the Cuban intelligence service. But he had grown increasingly disillusioned with the Cuban government. He began to believe that Fidel Castro, the Cuban leader, was out of step with the Cuban people. And finally, he decided that he no longer wanted to be part of this entire Cuban operation. So he decides that he's going to defect. This is in the height of the Cold War in 1987, and he's in Bratislava, which was then a Soviet bloc country. And he decides what he's going to do is to escape to the West and to give up all of his secrets to uh, the other side. So one morning he gets up, one Saturday morning, and he has a, an old Mazda, and he has a girlfriend named Marta, and he has to smuggle her out of Bratislava, so he puts her in the trunk of the car. They clearly had a very strong relationship. And he drives to the border between Czechoslovakia and Austria, and he talks his way past the border guards, and he drives his battered Mazda into the American embassy in Vienna, and he knocks on the door, and he says, my name is Florentino Aspiaga. I'm a high-ranking member of the Cuban intelligence service. I have come to tell you what I know. And of course, they're delighted. I mean, they're blown away. I mean, this is, this is what's called in the spy trade a walk-in, where someone from the other side just kind of walks up and offers everything they've got. It's the greatest gift that the spy trade can have. And they say, you know, come on in. And they immediately ship him to the CIA debriefing center in Frankfurt on the army base, where they send all the spies that come in and walk-ins. And they sit him down and they say, tell us what you know. And he says, I'm happy to, but I have one condition. I will only speak to the, most, to the greatest spy I ever saw in my life, the mountain climber. So that's why the mountain climber was summoned to Frankfurt. So the mountain climber walks in and he meets Florentino Aspiaga. And they know about each other by reputation. So they have a big hug and they kiss each other on the cheeks, Cuban style. And they sit down across on the other side of a table and the mountain climber, the first thing he says is, the thing that you are supposed to say when you first meet someone, a defector from the other side, he says to, the, to Florentino, tell me something that establishes your credibility, right? I need to know that you are who you say you are and you come here in good faith. And so Florentino Espiaga said, okay, uh, well, you remember when you were running the CIA's operations in Havana? You had a spy named Raul working for you, and Raul was uh, high up inside the Cuban defense ministry. And the mountain climber says, yes, I remember Raul. And Florentino Espiaga says, Raul was working for us. He was a double agent. The entire time he was feeding you stuff, it was stuff we gave him. He was working for Fidel Castro. He was on our side. And the mountain climber can't believe this. I mean, this is a blow. Raul was one of his best sources. He was, the, he was one of the reasons he built up this, what he thought was this incredibly successful spy service. And so he's reeling from this news, and then Florentino says, wait, I'm not done. Remember you had a guy named Jose, and Jose was high up in the Cuban Air Force, and he gave you chapter and verse on all the plans the Cuban Air Force had for expansion and all their equipment and planes? And the mountain climber says, yes. And Florentino says, he's working for us, double agent, the entire time, right? Everything he fed you was a lie. And now the mountain climber is reeling, two of his best people. It's like he's been kicked in the stomach. He's seeing his career crumble before his eyes. And then Florentino says, wait, I'm not done. Do you remember another guy, guy who was working uh, high up in Castro's own personal staff, who used to, you know, 
photograph documents on Castro's desk and send them to you. Your best source imaginable, your most secret source. And the mountain climber can see what's coming. And Florentino says, that guy was working for us the whole time. He was a double agent, right? And now, I mean, the mountain climber is practically passed out. I mean, this is the worst day of his life. And Florentino says, wait, I'm not done. And he keeps going and going and going until he is listed 48 spies, the entire network of spies that the mountain climber had built in his time in Havana. It turns out that every single one of them was a double agent working for Cuba the whole time. His entire, his entire time in Havana was a complete waste. It was, he was a dupe of the Cuban government. Takes the mountain climber who was completely devastated, takes Florentino and they fly to Langley in Virginia and they debrief with the top CIA brass and to rub it in when he learns that Florentino has spilled the beans, Fidel Castro releases a 10-part documentary on Cuban television, which essentially shows that the entire time the mountain climber had been running the CIA operation in Havana, the Cubans had been filming his every move, right? He had been under, he had been, he thought he was the one in control of the situation. In fact, he was under Cuban surveillance, being filmed the entire time he was in the field. It is one of the most devastating portrayals of, uh, the, of the CIA in the history of the intelligence service uh, in this country. Now, it's not unusual for deception to take place inside espionage, right? The world of espionage is rife with deception. But I think if you think about this story I've just told you, even for a moment, it becomes clear that it's unusual in several ways. The first is that when we think about deception, we usually say that the people who are deceived are people who are vulnerable, right? The little old lady in Dubuque, she's the one who believes the email is coming from the, from the prince in Nigeria who's inherited $10 million. Well, in this case, that's not what happens. In this case, the person deceived is the mountain climber, the best operator the CIA ever had, working for the most sophisticated agency in the world. Well, the second thing that's weird here, normally when we think of deception, we think that it, it's something that happens once, not repeatedly. If you go to take your car to be fixed and the person cheats you, you don't go back the second time, right? You've learned your lesson. But in this case, the deception happens over and over and over again over the course of many, many years involving not one but 48 spies. And the third thing that's weird is that normally when we think of deception, we think of it, we think of the person doing deceiving as a kind of evil genius, right? A kind of James Bond villain, someone who is the master of all kinds of deception. But in this case, the Cubans who pulled off this extraordinary deception were not evil geniuses, right? There can't be 48 evil geniuses in the, on a tiny island of Cuba. I tell another spy story in the book about a woman named Ana Montes, who was another Cuban spy who rose to the very top of the American intelligence establishment. Ana Montes, when they finally caught her, they realized she was a terrible spy, Right? She carried around the codes she used to communicate with her handlers in her purse, right? That's not sophisticated behavior. Now, you might say in looking about that, well, okay, maybe there's something weird about the intelligence service. Maybe there are people who are uniquely prone to deception. But the truth is, I can take a look at almost any field and show you an almost exact uh, replica of what happened to the CIA. Think about the Bernie Madoff. 
the man who ran the greatest Ponzi scheme in history, the biggest financial fraud in the history of Wall Street, right? Who did he deceive? Not little old ladies in Dubuque. He deceived the most sophisticated investors on Wall Street. Did he do it once? No, he did it repeatedly over 20 years, right? Was he some kind of evil genius? No, in retrospect, Bernie Madoff was a pretty garden variety sociopath. He was a bad liar. He had his, his accountant, the person supposedly running the accounting for his entire $40 billion hedge fund, was like an 85-year-old guy working out of a strip mall in suburban New York. You don't do that if you're some kind of sophisticated and savvy liar. No, he was, he was a completely bad liar. So what do we make of this? Well, what we make of both these stories is it's clear that the issue is not with the person doing the deceiving. It's with us. We are, as human beings, uniquely susceptible to deception. This is something that psychologists have noticed for years. We think we're really good at spotting liars. We're not. We're terrible at spotting liars. Our accuracy rate at spotting liars is something like 52%, which is slightly better than chance. Now, if you think about it, you might say, well, that's really weird. You would think that if there's one thing human beings would have evolved to be really good at, it's spotting liars, right? It's such an important thing to be able to do. You would think over the course of hundreds of thousands of years of human society, we would have figured that out. But I'm not so sure. A man, a wonderful researcher named Tim Levine, whose work I rely on in my book. And Tim Levine makes the argument that the opposite is true, that human beings have evolved and developed not to be good at spotting lies, but to do the opposite. We have evolved, we have developed to be trusting engines. We are people who, the phrase he uses is, we are people who default to truth. We implicitly believe what we are being told unless the evidence against that assumption rises to some uh, clear and insurmountable level. And the reason we have developed that way to be trusting engines is that virtually everything good that we do as human beings involves, requires that we trust people. If you want to put your child on the school bus in the morning, you have to trust that the school bus driver is who he says he is. If you want to engage in your community productively, you have to believe the people who you're with are who they say they are. If you want to start an organization or join a church or do anything productive in the world, you have to have faith and trust in the people who you are working with. Otherwise, everything dissolves into a messy pile of suspicion and paranoia, right? The people who have an ability to trust others are the ones who get ahead in the world, are the ones who have the capacity for kindness, for cooperation, for empathy. Morality, in some sense, requires that we have an implicit faith in the people with whom we are talking about. But that, as Levine points out, has a cost, that implicit faith in others means that from time to time we will be deceived. When a sociopath comes along, we're going to have trouble understanding that that sociopath is pulling the wool over our eyes. But Levine says that is a very, very, very small price to pay for all the wonderful things that come from being a trusting engine. So why was the mountain climber deceived by all of those Cuban spies in Havana? Not because he was a bad spy or a negligent person or asleep at the switch. No, it was because he wanted to build an organization, a functional organization in Havana. And in order to build a functioning organization of any sort, you need to believe in people. You need to 
Give them your trust. You need to have faith in the people around you. It so happens that in this one instance in Havana in the 1980s, that trust was betrayed. And the mountain climber was the victim of a massive deception. But 99 times out of 100, that kind of faith is rewarded. And it is what makes us successful and happy and fulfilled as human beings in the world. Now, most of you in your everyday life will never suffer from a deception of the likes of the mountain climber in Havana or the people who invested in uh, with Bernie Madoff. Most of the kinds of deceptions that we deal with are on a much smaller level. But I think the same fundamental truth applies, right? That we are called upon as human beings to believe in our Uh, in other people, in those around us, right? That will mean from time to time we will be deceived. But when we are, that is not evidence of something we are doing wrong as human beings. That is evidence of something we're doing right. Gabe, what a great talk from your friend, Malcolm Gladwell. Some of my favorite quotes. He, He says, you have to have faith and trust in the people who you're working with. Otherwise, everything dissolves into a messy pile of suspicion and paranoia. Which just what a great principle. The other thing, in order to build a functioning organization of any sort, you need to believe in people. You need to give them your trust. You need to have faith in the people around you. And then finally, when he says this, we are caught upon as human beings to believe in other people and those around us. That will mean from time to time we will be deceived. But when we are deceived, that is not evidence of something we are doing wrong as human beings. It's evidence of something we're doing right. What an encouraging word in a culture now where it's hard to know who to trust, but we as Christians know we need to trust in others. We need to see the image of God in people who are different than us, who think different, look different, believe different, and let's build trust. Let's be those people who rebuild the fabric, the social fabric necessary for society to flourish. Exactly. Now, we only have a few moments left, so before we go this week, just a reminder that Q2020 is back this spring. And yes, we know that because of the coronavirus outbreak, meeting face-to-face is not an option, but there's a long list of needed conversations. So Gabe and the team decided that this year... We're taking the annual Q Conference virtual. So April 22nd and 23rd, join Gabe, Rebecca, and a great lineup of speakers for Q2020 online. Visit qideas.org slash 2020 for all the details and to register. For Gabe, I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Have a great week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.